You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is the 21st day of June 2021. It is the summer solstice and the longest day of the year. And I've been sitting up here at the mine for an hour. Just got loaded and I'm about to go into the void. But we are doing a program today. My wife is on. She's going to be reading along with Michael Emmett. We're going to be reading chapter 14 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, Portrait of a Prophet, which is really interesting. And I'm really 
uh, looking forward to talking about these things. Now, let me just say one thing before we get into this. John the Baptist was one of the greatest prophets the world has ever known. According to Jesus Christ, he never prophesied that he was a prophet. Because a prophet's job is not just to prophesy. It is to speak truth, to call repentance to the, uh, the people to repentance, to lay the foundation for a Messiah to come, all of these things. Prophets have many different jobs and many different roles. But we're going to talk about some of these things tonight. Let me unmute Emmett before I go into the void. Emmett, go ahead and mute okay. your mic if you're going to talk or not talk or whatever. Actually, it's just not letting me do it. Trying to. Oh, okay. Emmett, unmute yourself on the. Did you bring up the studio? He did bring up the studio. Um, he didn't unmute himself. He was trying to call in the host line like I did, but um, it kicked him off. And now he is trying to do on. something. Yeah, he's trying to right now. Okay. But I don't know. All right. Well, I'm going to mute myself. Go ahead and dedicate the program. I'm about to go into the void for only a couple of minutes. If I get kicked off, I'll let myself back in. Also, people can call into the radio show and ask questions after the reading. So, all right, I'm going to mute myself, going into the void. Okay. All right, so let's dedicate this program, this very exciting program, because we love talking about prophets, right? Okay. Our Father in heaven, we come before thee this night and give thanks for all the many blessings that thou hast given to us. We're so grateful for family and friends. We're thankful for all the time that we have uh, to spend with one another and to learn from one another. We're thankful for this time that we have to be able to uh, study and learn more of thy prophets and understanding of prophets and the goal um, that we all have in life, hopefully, to be prophets and be closer to thee, God. We love thee so much and ask thee to please be with us, be with the listeners and and have the Holy Spirit testify of the truth to us of what it is that we need to be speaking and to be learning. Help us to have thy spirit speak to our minds and our hearts of the things that that would have us do for thee and to help out to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We are so grateful, Father, and say these things in the name of thy son, Yeshua, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Okay, Emmett, are you unmuted yet? No, he isn't. Okay, he's still figuring out. That's okay. We're going to be reading Portrait of a Prophet, Chapter 14 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, pages 195 to 215 tonight. Okay, starting off with Joseph Smith laid the foundation of this work. He was chosen by the Lord for that purpose and was ordained by prophets and inspired men who formerly held the keys of the kingdom of God upon the earth. That comes from Wilford Woodruff, Journal of Discourse, Volume 14, page 32. This chapter is included to help us in distinguishing true prophets so we will know the correct ones to sustain. There are a variety of prophets upon the face of the earth today, and many of them seem to congregate in the Utah area. They may be classified into the following groups. Number one, true prophets. Sorry. Number two, false prophets. Number three, fallen prophets, number four, ordained prophets, and number five, pretend prophets. Okay, 
There are only a few true prophets and even fewer fallen prophets. Ordained prophets are those assuming to be prophets and pretended prophets are the most numerous and the most popular. But the false prophets are the most dangerous. All of them have a place and purpose. And in a way, they provide a maze that true sheep must experience and struggle through. Page 196. In fact, a person should learn enough about true prophets so that he can become one himself. Um, quote, that every man might speak in the name of God, end quote. That comes from Doctrine and Covenants, or chapter 1, verse 20. To date, this author has been acquainted with nearly 50 people who claim to be a prophet, a revelator, the one mighty and strong, one like unto Moses, the Davidic king, keeper of the keys, a translated being, or some miraculous personage. But how do we know if they are what they claim to be? Hmm. Hello? Can appearances alone be indication if this were the case? We can hear you, Emmett, but I'm in the middle of reading. Can oh, appearances alone Okay. Mute. Okay. Can appearances alone be an indication? If this were the case, then we should all have paid particular attention to three men who appeared outside Temple Square during the nineteen ninety five October General Conference. Three men in flowing robes carrying long carved walking staff or sorry, yep, staff, and professing to speak the language of the Bible, biblical Adam drew a lot of attention at Saturday's opening session of the 165th semi-annual general conference of the LDS Church. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just distracted for one second. Emmett, come get your little brother who is trying to drive his four-wheeler without anybody else around him, and it's distracting me. Okay, thanks. Hold on, I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Hold on a minute. Okay, continuing reading. The three walked briskly around Temple Square several times, stopping at each gate to raise their arms and deliver prayers in a foreign tongue, which they said was Adamic, you know, the Adamic language. Andai Amen was the leader. The other two deferred to him, saying they had both seen God appear to him. That's from Ogden Standard Examiner, October 1st, 1995. Can someone's professed revelation suffice? Most of the pretended prophets have a stack of written revelations. Can seniority, ordination, or knowledge of scripture be proof of their validity? Joseph Smith gave some very broad definitions of a prophet. Um, this comes from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 109. Quote, I then called upon the quorums and congregation of saints to acknowledge the twelve apostles who were present as prophets, seers, and revelators, and special witnesses to all the nations of the earth, end quote. Again, that's Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 109. And we're on page 197 right now. Just making right. sure that you have I'm time. For... Okay, did you want to chime in on anything there? That was a lot of stuff. Actually, I kind of wish that I would meet more of these prophets because I'm always interested to test them out. Um, I have met many prophets, many false prophets. I have met a couple of fallen prophets. Um, I have met a couple of true prophets. In fact, one of those prophets actually presented himself to Ogden Kraut, and uh, Ogden dismissed him. So, I don't know, I, like, I think Ogden, I don't know, like, okay, well, for one thing, one thing I want to say, 
When God is about to raise up a true prophet, like in the days of Jeremiah, he will raise up many false prophets to wear the people out and confuse the people so that when the true prophet comes, they just get dismissed. That happens a lot. So, but the particular person that I'm talking about, I will not name him, but uh, his initials are A.B., but he's a fallen prophet. He fell because of pride and arrogance. So, I don't know. I just, it's the fruits. Like, what are they doing? Are they teaching? Are they doing the work of God? You know, do they have the miracles? Do they bear the witnesses that need to be bared? Um, I'm always interested to find true prophets. But the problem is, oh, there's a couple of problems. One of the problems is when the people find out that the leaders that they've been following are Babylonian businessmen wearing wolves, wearing uh, sheep's clothing, or in other words, wool business suits, they get burned out and they get upset. So then when a true prophet comes along, they don't want anything to do with anything. But then the other problem is, the, prof, the false prophets like Denver Snuffer, and yes, I'm going to claim he's a false prophet, and there's reasons for that. Um, when he comes along, he, he speaks so much truth, but he leads people astray in key points of doctrine. He just, it, it, but I've learned so much from Denver Snuffer, but, but at the same time, every time I listen to him, he pisses me off because I know that some of the stuff that he's teaching is just false doctrine. For instance, real quick, one key point that's really important. He teaches that section 124, Jesus Christ is supposed to come to a temple that Joseph Smith and the saints build so that he can restore the fullness of the priesthood, which is the Melchizedek priesthood that he had previously taken away. Now, he never said Jesus never said he took away the priesthood. He said it had to be restored. And But if you read the Revelation, section 124, very closely, it's Jesus Christ speaking to Joseph Smith. And let me just quote it from memory. Build a temple in my name. Whose name? Jesus Christ's name. Whereby the Most High can come dwell therein that he, not Jesus, that he may come and restore that which was lost unto you, or that which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. The Most High is not Jesus. The Most High is God the Father, our Father. And in order to come into his presence, to have him restore anything to a person, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood to come into his presence. But you got a bunch of these snufferites running around believing this is these lies, the Denver snuffer. And I could just, I, every time he speaks, there's like a lot of truth, a lot of good stuff, but there are the philosophies, philosophies of men mingled with scripture. That's all they are. And he, he leads people astray in many, many false doctrines. He is a false prophet. Satan raises up false prophets when, when God is about to do a work, just like in the days of Jeremiah. 
in Jeremiah's day, there were many true prophets that came to warn the people, but there were many false prophets as well. And for some reason, the saints can't figure it out. And it's sad, but it's just the way it is. You know, so anyway, I'm going to mute myself, and if Kim wants to say anything. Oh, by the way, section 124, verses 27 and 28 are the key verses that I'm talking about there. All right, I'll mute myself. Okay, no man is a minister of Jesus Christ without being a prophet. No man can be a minister of Jesus Christ except he has the testimony of Jesus. And this is the spirit of prophecy. That comes from teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 160. If any person should ask me if I were a prophet, I should not deny it, as that would give me the lie. For according to John, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Therefore, if I profess to be a witness or teacher and have not the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus, I must be a false witness. But if I be a true teacher and a witness, end quote, that comes from teaching the prophet Joseph Smith, page 269. Anthony W. Ivins, counselor to Heber J. Grant, came up with an interesting and innovative description of a prophet. When future events are to be declared, he predicts them, but his direct and most important calling is to be a foreteller or director of present policy, rather than a foreteller of that which is to come. That comes from Conference Report, October 1925, page 20. Since there has been no prophecy or foretelling in over a hundred years, maybe we shouldn't sustain church leaders as prophets, but rather as foretellers of present policy. When Amos asked, who can be prophesy, who can but prophesy, see Amos 3.8. He indicated that this was a rare qualification in ancient times. It was stated that he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. That comes from 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. However, King Lam- Limhi stated that a seer is greater than a prophet. That comes from Mosiah chapter 8, verse 15. So a person who is a prophet, seer, and revelator has at least three different qualifications that would distinguish him from most other men. Page 198. No human agency or power can make a man a prophet. He does not become a prophet because his father was ordaining him to be a prophet, Oh, I'm sorry. He does not become a prophet because his father was one, nor because he is a member of a quorum of 12 or first presidency. Neither does setting him apart and ordaining him a prophet. Seeing visions, angels, and heavenly beings does not qualify one to be a true prophet. All these ordinations, appointments, offices, and spiritual blessings are helpful in obtaining the title of prophet, but a man must prove himself worthy and then receive that blessing from the Lord. Some people are converted to the missionaries or to the leaders as individuals instead of to the gospel or to the Lord. A somewhat humorous account illustrating this point was related by Jedediah Grant. In Journal of Discourse, Volume 2, page 72, quote, It makes me think of an old Baptist preacher in Virginia. He came and preached in a certain place. The next time he came around, a drunken man came staggering up to him and said, Brother Jones, when you were the last in our settlement, you converted my soul. Well, said Brother Jones, I should think I did, for I do not believe the Lord had anything to do with it. End quote. Again, that's Journal of Discourse, Volume 2, page 72. At what stage in his life... 
is a man first called to be a prophet. Jeremiah was told in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, quote, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations, end quote. Again, that's Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Some received their instructions from the Lord at an early age, such as Samuel, Nephi, Moroni, and Joseph Smith. On the other hand, Moses was 40 years old when he received his call. When Joseph Smith was speaking on the subject of prophets, he said, quote, and this comes from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 365, every man who has a calling to minister to the inhabitants of the world was ordained to that very purpose in the Grand Council of Heaven before this world was. I suppose I was ordained to this very office in that Grand Council, end quote. Again, that's Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 365. The Lord usually calls prophets from among the most humble classes of people, i.e. fishermen, tent makers, farmers, the poor and unlearned. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, quote, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many many mighty, not many noble are called. End quote. Again, that's First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-six. Um, Eusebius, or Eusebius, two hundred and sixty-four to three hundred and forty-nine. Eusebius. Okay, Eusebius. Um, one of ooh. Okay, let's just change that. Sorry. When I clicked back onto it, then I changed what I was reading. Sorry. So now I'm getting back in. Um, let's see, Eusebius, 264 to 349 A.D. One of the early Christian fathers explained how the disciples of Christ received the gifts for their ministry. Those inspired and truly pious men, the apostles of our Savior, as they were most pure in their life and adorned with every kind of virtue in their minds, but common in their language, relying upon the divine and wonderful energy granted them, they neither knew how nor attempted to propound the doctrines of their master with the art of refinement or art and refinement of composition, but employing only the demonstration of the divine spirit working with them and the wonder working power of Christ displayed through them. They proclaimed the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven throughout the world. They bestowed but little care upon the study of style and this they did because they were aided by a corporation or cooperation greater than that of men. That is Eccles History, Eusebius, uh, pages 107 to 108. What is Eccles? E-C-C-L-E-S. Ecclesiastical. Okay. I don't know why they abbreviate all this. Okay. Ecclesiastical History. What page are we on? Eusebius. Um, 107 to 108. Uh, the page number that we are on now, I will have to keep going to find it. We're almost to page 200. A true prophet comes as a witness. He does not speak as other religionists who have graduated some theological college, but as one having authority. He is not noted 
It just jumped down pages, like a lot of pages. Good thing we knew what page we were on. Makes it easier to find that way. <laughs> okay. A true prophet comes as a witness. He does not speak as other religionists who have graduated from some theological college. But as one having authority, he is not noted for being a businessman, professor, lawyer, doctor, or banker not like most of the um, leaders of the church today. His message is or not a poetic <laughs> Do you hear me? Oh, yeah, that's also, yep, or Denver Stuffer. Yep, yep it's just like all the leaders of the church today. The, so God the usually calls what he calls mean men, and mean in the, uh, if you're reading the King James, all that means, it, it doesn't mean they're mean. It means they're humble or lowly in stature. They don't come from a high position of authority. They're not doctors or lawyers or businessmen. They are humble men who God chooses. He chooses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty and strong ones of, the, of Babylon or of, of the world. Yep. His message is not a poetic piece of philosophy, a skillful written sermon, nor a collection of ideals from popular men of the time. His material comes forth with the words and wisdom of God. His message is written and sealed by the Holy Spirit to those who have that same spirit, whereas the spiritually dead, his message is repulsive, unpopular, and usually rejected. Uh, now we're on page 200. Did you have anything to add? No. Okay. okay. His mission is not to support existing corrupt systems, nor to make compromises with the world. To him, evil is evil. Wherever there is wickedness, it should be condemned. It matters not of its source or if its source is a person, a society, or a government. And he will also foretell their fate and disaster if there is no repentance. Elder Spencer W. Kimball once remarked, some may wonder... Okay, I'm going to fix this because it's not working the way that I'm trying to do it. It keeps jumping down to the next post. So instead of me keep reading the same post, it jumps down to the next post, and then I start reading in one that you posted days ago. So I'm like, oh. Do you want to, do you want to, uh, well, if you read, just read out of the on... Read out of the book, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Emmett, I know you can hear me. You don't have to talk, but bring me the book, okay? Thanks. <laughs> okay. His mission is not to support existing corrupt systems, nor to make compromises with the world. To him, evil is evil. Wherefore, or wherever there is wickedness, it should be condemned. It matters not if the source, if its source is a person, a society, or a government. And he will also foretell their fate and disaster if there is no repentance. Elder Spencer W. Kimball once remarked, some may wonder why general authorities speak of the same things from conference to conference, end quote. That comes from Conference Report, April 1976, but page 7. But compare that statement to one made by the prophet Joseph. It has always been my province to dig up hidden mysteries 
new things for my hearers, end quote. That's Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 364. The devil knows who are true prophets. Prophets, Emmett, you're making me echo. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, I already... Oh, you're making it echo. I already had it, like, open to the page. Emmett, Emmett, Yeah? Yeah? Please read along with Mom with your mic muted when she gets to the end of a page. Let me talk, and then you can ask whatever question or say whatever you want, uh, as long as it has something to do with the reading, okay? Okay. Now mute yourself so that you don't have an echo. Yeah, he was okay, close I'm to me and it was making an echo. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. But compare that statement to one made by the prophet Joseph in Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 364. It has always been my province to dig up hidden mysteries, new things for my hearers. That, again, end quote, is Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 364. Okay, and I'm switching over to the book right now because I know where I'm at. So, <laughs> the devil knows who are true prophets. And he arouses the powers of hell and earth to condemn or kill them. Christian preachers may gather thousands upon thousands to listen to them pound their pulpits and shout out their warnings against evil. But instead of receiving persecution, they receive offerings of wealth, distinguishing between true and false prophets, has always been difficult for mankind, as the prophet Joseph Smith explained, in teaching through the prophet Joseph Smith, page 206, quote, the world always mistook false prophets for true ones, and those that were sent of God, they considered to be false prophets, and hence they killed, stoned, and punished, and imprisoned the true prophets. And these had to hide themselves in deserts in, and dens and caves of the earth. And though the most honorable men of the earth, they banished them from their society as vagabonds, whilst they cherished, honored, and supported knaves, vagabonds, hypocrites, imposters, and the basest of men, end quote. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 206. And if you did not hear anything else that we have said on this radio show ever, that is the one thing you should hear is about how true prophets are not the ones that are always popular with the world and saying whatever everybody wants to hear. They are always the outcasts. They are always the ones that everybody is saying, you're not a true prophet, you're a false prophet. They make fun of them, they ostracize them, and they don't listen. I really, really hope that this time, out of the building, yep, I hope that this time, this might be the one time in all of the history of the world that we actually get it right. And instead of being one with the world and thinking, oh, you can't possibly be this, possibly be a real prophet. You can't possibly be that because you don't fit what I think that you should be. Maybe we should actually figure out how to get this revelation that we're supposed to be getting. And maybe we should probably study it out to the best of our ability and look at the fruits of the people instead of, just ostracizing on, you know, just the fact that we don't want to listen or we don't want somebody to be a prophet because we don't like what they look like or what profession they have or something. Or how they get angry. Yeah. How they get angry at the wicked and the false teachings. Um, oh, the righteous indignation, yeah. 
yeah, they, they think, oh, a prophet's supposed to tickle my ears, pat me on the back. Yep. No. Anyway, so um, I wanted to say something about the final prophet, which is talked about in the Dead Sea Scrolls, also in Isaiah chapter 49, and many other places. Um, yep. Well, okay, well, first we'll just start out with this one. Okay, so... When Moroni came to Joseph Smith, and you can find this in the Pearl of Great Price, uh, History of Joseph Smith, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but verse 40, Moroni starts talking about Isaiah chapter 11 and how it's about to be fulfilled. And he also says that the man of Acts chapter 2, verse 3, is a Christ or a Messiah, an anointed one, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Now, Jesus Christ had already been rejected by his people, so it's not talking about Messiah ben Judah, who Jesus Christ is. It's talking about Messiah ben Joseph, the second anointed of the Father, the second Mashiach or Messiah, the second Christ. Now, this Christ does not come to redeem people from their sins. He comes to redeem the church from Babylon the Great and to set up Zion. Joseph Smith laid the foundation for Zion to be redeemed, but he was not rejected by his people, so he's not this prophet. Moroni said that that man, and by the way, Acts chapter 2, well, it's Acts you have to go into the thing. I'm, I'm doing it by memory because I'm driving a semi-truck right now. But Acts chapter 2, verse 3, I think, if that's the right place, it talks about the man likened to Moses. And Moroni is saying to Joseph Smith that that man is a Christ. But the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Now, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14, it speaks of two anointed ones or two messiahs or two Christ, because Christ in Greek means anointed one, Christos. These two messiahs are under the Father. It says that there are two, who, uh, these two anointed ones are the um, anointed, are there, the two anointed ones of the Father, the Most High. So you've got two messiahs and both of them are Christ but they have different roles one of them is a redeemer of your uh, from the bondage of death and hell the other one is a messiah to save you from the bondage of Babylon the great in the last days alright I'm going up wash plant I want to talk more about this but I know I'm going to break up here so like just give me a second is there anything you wanted to say about that Kim um, no, I was kind of just saying it, like, I just feel like, um, you know, people should listen to that one thing, like, look at, do the study on your own, you know, look at the former prophets, look at who God chooses, it's not, you know, just somebody who was sitting in a quorum, and then all of a sudden, they're the next oldest person there, so they're supposed to be the person who's the prophet, that's not how it was ever chosen, God chooses his prophets, people don't. So it's not just like some um, line of authority that just keeps going and going down between people who are elected. Um, 
the prophets are not popular people. You know, they run around naked in the desert. <laughs> you know, they're, they're people who are ostracized. They, you know, are slow of speech. Um, you know, they're not, they don't do things correct that according to everybody else. You know, even Christ himself, he said, he called people broods, your mothers are broods of vipers. That's like, you know, saying swear words and stuff at that time. Um, well, that it, was offensive. He didn't have cuss words like today, but people flip out. Because they think yeah. that to swear falsely or to swear at all means that they, they bring a present-day meaning to an ancient word. It has nothing to do yeah. with cuss words, not even close. If Jesus no. Christ was today, and today he would use words that were offensive towards the religious hypocrites. But she did in his day. Yep. The things that he said were the most offensive things that you could say to a man. And he said them all the time. But let me get back to this. Um, oh, the reason yep. why prophets go into the deserts, into the rocks and caves and whatever, is because the people reject them. And they want They're to kill, kill them. them. Yeah. yeah. They death threats. It's ridiculous. And the only reason I know any of this is because I've dealt with it. So, um, but then um, let me get back to this rejected thing. Moroni said that that man would be rejected by his people. This is Messiah ben Joseph. Come to lay the, or to build up on the foundation that Joseph Smith, the prophet, restored so that Zion could be redeemed. And his people, the people of Ephraim, reject him. The people of the church reject him. Daniel saw that that man, that prophet, that stone of Ephraim, as talked about in uh, Genesis chapter 49, the stone of Ephraim, not talking about Jesus, talking about Messiah ben Joseph, would be cut out of the mountain. What's the mountain? The mountain is made without hands. That's the church. That's the church. And um, when he's cut out, that means that that stone is rejected by the church. Now, Jesus, our Moroni said that that man, the man like unto Moses, is talked about in the DNC section 105, is a Messiah, uh, a Christ, that he would be rejected by his people. Okay, now let me think here. Let me gather my thoughts a little bit. In Isaiah chapter 49, it talks about the lamentation of that prophet. That people, that he would speak and people wouldn't listen to him and he would get very upset, but that God would choose another people for him. It's because when the people reject the prophet, when he comes to them, God will raise up another people to redeem Zion. Because that whole prophecy in Isaiah chapter 49 is about the final prophet and about his lamentation that people reject him. And, um, and I claim to be that man. And I know Denver, uh, not Denver Snuffer. Well, Denver Snuffer claims to be that man too. But he's not rejected by his people. He's popular among them. They love him. Even though he tells them not, not to do not to, you know, not to gather, you know, not to do the work, not to live the covenants. He talks all about the covenants, but 
just wait. We have to wait. We can't do it now. He doesn't want to give up his wealth, his Harley-Davidson motorcycles, or his nice luxury cars, or his large house, because, you know, uh, part of redeeming Zion is to have united orders. And uh, it, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And if you'll be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. Well, he's ready and willing to teach the people and to have the praises of the world or of those people, but he's not well, uh, ready and willing to actually live what God has commanded. And in Genesis chapter 9 of the inspired translation, it says that when a people live all that God has commanded, Zion shall be redeemed, and the church of the firstborn will come down out of heaven. Now, what's important about that? Adam and Andiamen cannot happen until there's a people who live all that God has commanded. And Adam and Andiamen, when that happens, that's when Jesus Christ returns after that. And it's not going to happen until there's a people who actually are obedient to God's commandments. So you can listen to Denver Snuffer or any of these false prophets that lead these uh, mainstream restoration movements like the Brighamites in Salt Lake with the Mormon and Russell M. Nelson, or any of these other all-red groups or fundamentalist groups or whatever, but they are never going to redeem Zion unless they are obedient to what God commands. Now, one thing, real quick, and then I'll mute myself again. Jesus Christ told Joseph Smith that he would have to send one mighty and strong in Doctrine and Covenants, Section 85, to set the house of God in order, implying that it would become out of order. Now, you can do all that God has commanded and still not set the house of God in order. Because in order to do that, you have to have the one mighty and strong come among the people because there's something called the law of adoption. When Joseph Smith received his calling and election, he was sealed up unto Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being sealed up unto the Father. And Joseph Smith became a link on the earth so that when people were sealed to him through the law of adoption, they were sealed up in a link to God and to all the heavens. That link was broken by Wilford Woodruff, and over time, the other links were uh, broken through corruption. Joseph Smith was that man on the earth. That's why it talks about the one-man doctrine. That's what that is. Now, I wouldn't be talking about this if it wasn't for God telling me to, uh, to share this with the people. Because I never used to talk about these things before he told me to be bold with my witness. That I have seen him face to face. And I've knelt under his hands and he has sealed me up into himself. And when he did that, he gave me the keys of the kingdom, the church and the priesthood. And I became the one man on the earth who was the link who is the link, being filled up to the Father himself as the second witness of the Father or the second anointed Messiah ben Joseph. So you can do all that you want to redeem Zion, and you can do everything perfectly. But unless you are sealed up to that one man, myself, 
you're not going to be in a house set in order. That's why it's so important for the one mighty and strong to come among the people to set the house of God in order. When Jesus said it, that implies that the house would be out of order, which it is. And my job as a witness is to testify of that, to set the people in order, to teach true doctrine, and to bear my witness that the Father and the Son live because I have seen them face-to-face in the flesh. And I knelt under the hand of the Father, and he filled me up into himself. So anyway, um, I'll mute myself, and you can continue reading, Kim. Okay, we're on page 201, so everybody's following along. Okay, this quote comes from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 259. He that will war the true Christian warfare against the corruptions of these last days will have wicked men and angels of devils and all the infernal powers of darkness continually arrayed against him, end quote. Again, that's Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 259. But Jesus said consolingly, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. End quote. That's from Matthew chapter 5 verses 11 and 12. Church leaders today who profess to be true prophets do not seem to be experiencing persecution, but they try to make people believe they are. For example, example, Spencer W. Kimball said in Instructor, August 1960, page 257, quote, even in the church, many are prone to garnish the sepulchers of yesterday's prophets and mentally stone the living ones, end quote. And that's in Instructor, August 1960, page 257. There is a big difference between physical or physically and mentally stoned with rocks. Did anyone ever go to the hospital because he was injured when someone mentally stoned him? Sam. George? Yes? I'm in an area where I know I have service and you're breaking up. Is there a place you can get closer to the window in the front of the house? or? Yep, or I can move this. Let me know if that's better. I can hear you now. I'm yep. breaking up a little bit. I am climbing. I just went past the Hiawatha turn off. So I'm going to be in Emory County, and it will be breaking up for me within a couple of minutes. So I'll just unmute myself when I get on the other side of Forge 2. Okay. I ha- it says now that I've got my 5G with four bars. So okay. Good to me, it sounded like you were fine. So it might have been Dad breaking up a bit for some reason. Okay. Well, that's good. That's why oh, we have the first person on. Okay. Thank you. I'm at. All right. I'm you myself. Hugh Cannon explained when persecution would cease for the prophets and saints. And Journal of Discourse, Volume 22, page 374. Quote: There is nothing short of complete apostasy a complete denial of every principle we have received, a throwing away of the holy priesthood that can save us from persecution. When this takes place, when all the chief features of the gospel are obliterated, when we can float along the stream and do as the world does, then and not till then will the persecution cease. That's Journal of Discourse, volume 22, page 374. Most persecutions against the LDS Church ended at the turn of the century, and Heber J. Grant enjoyed telling members that 
in place of everyday persecutions and bitternesses or bitterness, we now enjoy the high regard and happy association with all denominations, end quote. That came from the Salt Lake Tribune, November 22nd, 1938. Rather than persecution, church leaders today are receiving awards and honors from many religious and political leaders throughout the nation and even the world. As mentioned, it is not always easy to determine who is really a true prophet, performing church duties and activities, dispensing wisdom and knowledge, and quoting scripture do not indicate that that man, that a man, is a prophet. Zondervan has given some significant and helpful synopsis or signposts. And I think it's supposed to say synopsis, but signposts. Okay. Uh, number one, a true prophet must speak in the name of the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 20 through 22. Although good ideas may be obtained from many different sources, such as truths are mixed with error, the true prophet gives a message directly from God. Therefore, his message can be considered entirely trustworthy. No such claim can be made for any alleged revelation, not given specifically in the name of the Lord. Number two, a true prophet may produce a sign or a wonder Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. God enabled Moses to perform certain miracles to show the Israelites that God had sent him in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And also to prove Pharaoh that he represented the true God. This sort of authentication of the prophet's ministry was particularly evident in the work of Elijah and Elijah. Elijah and Elijah. I'm um, sorry, I was, it's hard for me to say those differently, but Elijah and Elijah. <laughs> it was, however, the exception rather than the rule. And number three, a prediction given by a true prophet may be visible or visibly fulfilled. This test is specifically mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word which the Lord has not spoken. And the test mentioned above, God enabled Jeremiah to present, to present proof that he was the true prophet and Hananiah, the false one. Number four, the most important test of all, agreement with previous revelation. It is clearly brought out in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, that a man make, might claim to speak for the Lord, might perform what appeared to be a miracle, and might make a prediction that would come true and still be a false prophet. It is the duty of God's people to check carefully the content of any revelation and see whether it is in line with what God has revealed previously. Paul brought out his I... truth very clearly. One second, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, volume 4, page 886. Go ahead. We're on page 203 now. Okay. Um... I'm about to go into an area where I break up again. All right. Isaiah spoke many things which are not fulfilled in his lifetime. So just because they aren't fulfilled in the time, uh, the timeline that you think is, is right doesn't mean that those prophecies won't be fulfilled. They would have accepted or they would have rejected because everything that he prophesied oh, yeah. about, save a few things. Yep, you're breaking up. Most of the stuff. 
Yeah, I know. I was going to break up because the horse. Sorry. Yep. If, if they preach a different doctrine than the doctrine that you are taught, it might be that the doctrine. Yeah, it might be that the doctrine that you have learned is false doctrine, and the true prophet is restoring truth. So you'll reject them because of that scripture, because it's not the same doctrine that you were taught, because what you were taught was taught to you by men who did not know the truth by revelation. Anyway, I'll mute myself. Yes. Okay, so then also um, I was just going to say that there's another really common misconception. So every single person on the earth has the right of free agency to say or do whatever they wish, even a prophet. So a prophet is not just a puppet where, you know, everything that comes out of his mouth is always exactly the truth or what is going to happen or something like that. So what happens is, when that prophet receives revelation and gives the revelation to the people, because that's what he's supposed to do, he gets revelation and then gives the revelation to the people that it is um, for, then the prophet will say, you know, thus saith the Lord, or, you know, this is directly from God. There are people who can be prophets and they prophesy things, But it doesn't mean that they're going to be fortune tellers who just predict everything that's about to happen. That's not how that works. And they're not supposed to tell you exactly what to do specifically. You've got to go to God yourself to find out what God wants you to do. But then the other thing, too, um, a prophet can be a man who speculates about things that he knows about. For instance, I used to tell people that I believed that President Trump was going to be assassinated. I believed that that was going to happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen in the time that I thought it was going to happen. So does that mean I'm a false prophet? No, I was speculating. That's why I say I believe this is going to happen. And I laid out why I believed that, and it didn't happen. So, you know, just because somebody says something even if they believe it, and it's something that they're speculating about, it doesn't mean that they're saying, if they say, thus saith the Lord, or if they say, like Denver Snuffer, an angel showed me that Jesus Christ was born at the first light on Sunday morning in his two, uh, April 2019 Grand Junction Conference. You know, like if somebody comes to you and says, God said this, and it's false, but if he's talking about things Whenever I say Well I believe this is the way it is But I'm not sure because I haven't received revelation About it or I believe this is going to happen And this is the reason why That's me speaking as a man Joseph Smith said That that, that it's um, a true prophet uh, I can't remember I'm just going to paraphrase A prophet is only a prophet When he's speaking as a prophet but he can also speak as a man. And just because he speaks as a man doesn't mean that he's not a true prophet. And I'll just put it the way I put it to my ex-wife. God doesn't stick his hand up a prophet's butt and make him into a puppet. That prophet still has free agency to do uh, to say things that might, might not be exactly correct. That doesn't make him a false prophet. But God doesn't take away the free agency of the prophet to talk about things that he wants to talk about or speculate about. That's why there's a school 
of the prophets, to have a bunch of people come together who are all prophets because God does not uh, play, play favorites. Yeah, he has no respecter of persons, and we're all supposed to be prophets. We're all supposed to edify, and we can all talk about things and disagree and still be God's chosen people. It doesn't mean that we're a bunch of false prophets just because we're speculating and talking about the gospel. There were things that at the beginning of this radio show back in 2014. I kind of was like, Denver Snuffer has a point. Jesus has to come and restore the fullness of the priesthood. And you know what? God set me straight on. He said, no, read it again and look at it and read it. And I was like, oh, because I kind of, I was like, oh, Denver said that. And I wanted Denver to be a true prophet because he was raised up about the same time I was, 2003. And I was like, oh, there's so many similarities. And I really, you know, and I, I wanted him to be true, but I found that he was not true. And he was a Judas go, which unfortunately, there are so many of them. Uh, you know, like Satan raises up false prophets when a true one's about to be raised up. About the same time. Anyway, but God told me, no, read it again and read it slowly. And so I did. And I was like, oh, Jesus is talking about the Father, not himself. Denver's wrong about that. And then he said, and in order to be in my presence, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. So when Denver Snuffer and others of these Judas codes, when they say that the Melchizedek priesthood was taken off the earth, you cannot come into the presence of the Father for him to restore anything to you when you don't have the Melchizedek priesthood. He's a Judas code. People who teach the same doctrines are Judas codes. And you know what? Judas codes wouldn't be dangerous if people would just get revelation for themselves and stop relying upon others to teach them. But, like, even I, even I tripped over myself. Because I was like, yeah, this says that, and Denver says it, and I think it's right. And then I, I got revelation. God set me straight. And now I know that what Denver was teaching was wrong. I mean, he's a Judas goat. Because uh, Judas goats will teach that they will be so very close to the truth and they'll teach many great things, and you'll love listening to them. But in key points of doctrine, they will lead you down a wrong path. And then he does these other him and haw things where he doesn't want to gather, he doesn't want to build a temple, he doesn't want to have united orders. Oh, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. We shouldn't be doing that. And he'll, like, tell the people what to do, and the people just listen. Instead of redeeming Zion and doing what God has commanded them to do, they say, well, Denver's a prophet, or Russell M. Nelson's a prophet. And Russell M. Nelson says that we should just be doing these basic things, and when the time is right, he'll let us know that we should be obedient to God's commandments, and they become a test. And the test is, are you going to do what God has commanded or are you going to listen to this false prophet lead you astray so that Zion does not, so that there's not a people that are prepared to redeem Zion, so that, you know, so that they make excuses as to why they will not do what God has commanded. All right, I'm muting myself again. <laughs> okay. 
So, continuing on. Which is the most important, a messenger of God or a message from God? Which one does God want the people to trust and follow? The prophet or his heavenly communication? Hmm, which one? The answers are obvious. As one represents mortality and fallibility, whereas the other is more eternal, perfect, and heavenly. Even the prophet Joseph Smith had weaknesses and personal failings. After he gave the Book of Mormon manuscript to Martin Harris, Joseph was told by the Lord, and you also lost your gift at the same time, and your mind became darkened. That's in Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 10, verse 2. Sorry, back and forth between the volumes and the chapters is a little bit driving so, me nuts. <laughs> false prophet, our fallen prophets can repent and turn away from the lie that they have yep. been promulgating. They they yep. can repent and and repent, whatever. Um, I gotta say this one thing because it was brought to my mind. Okay. Denver Snuffer did a backroom deal with Troy Davis after Troy Davis invited me to be part of the restoration conference in Boise, Idaho. And do you yeah. remember, Kim, what Troy Davis wrote in the email about how Denver said that he would not speak if I was invited? Um, I don't remember word for word, but I know that that's what was said. Yeah. Denver snub, what's he afraid of? to be afraid to be called out. And I wouldn't have called him out at that time because I was still hoping for the best. But it was after that that I found out that, no, he's really not. And, the, and there's a reason for that. I'm not going to get into that at this time. So he did a backroom deal to make sure that I was the first person who was invited to the conference by Troy Davis. I think his name was Troy Davis. It's been a while. But I was the first one that was that – was, uh, that was asked to speak, and I made the, the plan to speak, and that was right before Ezekiel died, remember? Yeah. So my wife was pregnant at the time, and I was really wrestling whether I wanted to go up. And it, I drive a semi-truck, but to be in a car for that long a period, it, it's painful for me, and I don't know why, but whatever. Anyway... But I finally agreed, and I was put on the conference. I was I was going to be one of the speakers at the restoration conference. And when they, uh, Denver Snuffer found out, he told Troy Davis that if I was uh, invited, that he would not speak. Now, Denver's a very popular person. Everybody wants to hear what he says. So Troy Davis apologized to me and disinvited me and said that, he wanted me to be there, but Denver will not speak if I'm there. Him and Adrian Larson. So, and even yeah. at that time, I was like, why are they doing this? I don't understand. Like, we were both, and I was trying, I wanted him to be a prophet so bad. But there was key points, and I would be like, well, maybe he just doesn't understand. I used to make excuses for him. All the time. But as time as, yeah. And uh, God finally showed me one key point of doctrine and uh, where it wasn't just maybe he was mis, uh, misinformed or mis he actually said that an angel showed him something that I know an angel didn't show him with that Jesus yeah, we would Christ be talking was about, resurrected yeah. yeah when we listen to him 
we would be talking about it, and I would say, that doesn't make sense because of this. And then you would try to correct and be like, well, it, it maybe it could, and you would try to make excuses as to why. And I was like, okay, I'm not but sure that I even want there that. to be true profit. You have no idea how long I stood upon the mountaintop not being able to be around other people who are like-minded, who had had the same experience. So when I heard about Denver in 2013, I was excited because I was like somebody else had the kind of experiences that I've had. Turns out he's just one of these Judas goats that leads the people astray. And, you know, but I'm always looking for people that have had the same experiences or something similar to it, you know, because I want there to be true prophets. And I know there are many true prophets but none that have had the kind of experiences that I've had, but that's part of my foreordained role. The reason why I've seen the Father and the Son face-to-face in the flesh is because I am the second witness of the Father. So I have a foreordained role that other people don't have. Um, Okay, one more thing before I, I mute myself. There is a place in the scriptures that talk about like certain people can be given mysteries, but it's not for them to give those mysteries. So, for instance, Nephi saw the same thing that John the Revelator saw, but Nephi couldn't talk about it because it was for John the Revelator to talk about, not for Nephi to talk about. Okay. Other people have had the same kind of experiences with the same teachings that I've been shown, but they're not supposed to talk about, and they'll allude to it. Joseph Smith was one of them. The reason why I talk about it so openly and so forcefully and so bluntly is because it is my foreordained role to share those mysteries as the second witness of the Father. So I do share those mysteries openly, because God told me to be bold with my witness and my teaching. So I'm bold, and I'm open, and that's not always the greatest thing. Uh, we have to make sure that people don't know where we live. I have a lot of death threats and a lot of other kinds of threats, you know, and it sucks, and I hate it, but I'm going to be obedient to what God has asked me to do, even if it means that I have to be very private in my personal life as to where I live and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I do talk about Emory County because people are supposed to gather to Emory County. It's a staging point to be led into a place of safety during the fall of Babylon the Great. But um, I, don't, I would rather not. I, I kind of wish I was like RFM, Radio Free Mormon. You don't know his name, but he teaches the people. <laughs> And he kind of does it anonymously, you know, in Inside a way. enemy lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what he says. And I love listening to him, even though there's things that bother me about him. But I, I still love listening to, to him. You know, I wish I could be anonymous like that. I wish people didn't know my name. I hate it. But I'm supposed to be bold, and this is the way it has to be. So anyway, all right, I'm going to mute myself. I, I'm talking Are you sure? <laughs> yes, <laughs> muting myself now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who would want to follow Joseph in those conditions? If Joseph Smith could fail, 
to the point of being left without a spiritual gift and his mind was darkened, then surely any other prophet or president of the church could do the same. In such circumstances, the people should not follow them. On another occasion, Joseph was chastised by the Lord when he said in doctrinal or in sorry doctrine and covenants, uh, chapter five, verse twenty-one. Quote: And now I command you, my servant Joseph, to repent and walk more uprightly before me, and to yield to the persuasions of men no more. Uh, again, that's D and C, chapter five, verse twenty-one. And now we're on page 204, and I would ask you if you have anything to say, but you've already said it all, so we're going to keep going. <laughs> Even Joseph was capable of yielding to the persecutions of men. Previous to that, the Lord had told him in DNC chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, quote, how oft you have transgressed the, or the commandments and the laws of God and have gone on in the persuasions of men. You should not have feared man more than God. Chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. The persuasions of men is a very powerful force. And the situation with Joseph was serious enough that the Lord warned him in D&C chapter 3, verse 9, and also in verse 11, quote, Thou wast chosen to do the work of the Lord, but because of transgression, if thou art not aware, thou wilt fall. And except thou do this, Thou shalt be delivered up and become as another as other men and have no more gift. End quote. And that is DNC chapter three, verses nine and eleven. Thus is it, it is evident that all men, regardless of their high and holy calling, can fall. The oft repeated statement about the one man at the head of the church never being allowed to fall is contrary to what the Lord has previously said. Prophets, seers, and revelators can and have been influenced by the persuasions of men, and they can lose their gifts and fall. I'm just going to say, because I keep thinking about it, and I'm having, a, I'm stuttering while I'm reading, um, that is directly talking to, um, like you, Mark, to my husband, that even though you get persecuted, and even though people don't agree with you, and you get chastised for it, and, and all the millions of things, even though that happens, you have to fear God more than you do man or even your wife <laughs> who is like, shut up, don't say that. <laughs> or Why do you even talk myself about it? <laughs> because I get burned out of doing this. Uh-huh. You yeah. have no idea. Since 2012, 2014 <laughs> when I started the radio show, I've been doing this and receiving a constant stream of rejection and persecution from the people for my witness. And I'm sick of it. And I don't want to do it. And Kim knows. On my last radio program, she got to hear me when everybody else was muted, cussing out like the <laughs> whole thing, because I don't want to do this. But I am going to be obedient to what God wants me to do, even if it is something I don't want to do. I don't want to do this but I'm going to do it because God asked me to do it. So I can't even, like, just, I have to do what God wants me to do, even if I don't want to. So here we go. Anyway, I'm not myself. I'm almost, I'm almost to the power plant near Castledale, so um, I might not be able to speak for a minute, but I'll, I will be listening. Oh, thanks for the warning. <laughs> okay. Okay. <Yeah. laughs> 
a prophet of God. Oh, by the way. Totally... Yes. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> I know. I can't shut up. Okay. It's a thing. Jeremiah <laughs> said that it was like uh, something that swelled up in his bosom and he could not stay quiet. He also was like me. He didn't want to do it, but he couldn't stop. He couldn't stop. So anyway, I can't stop. All right. One thing. There's others, too, like Jonah. He didn't want to. I know. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, it talks about the last prophet who I am. The prophet of Qumran saw me. He saw my hair color, red hair. He saw things about me. Um, Kim, I... Ken's probably tired of hearing about it, because I'm like, look, this fits, that fits, that fits. Okay, one of the things that fits, he teaches on the run. The prophet of Qumran saw that this man was always moving, and prophecy fulfilled in your ears. I am driving 61 miles an hour right now, 62. I'm always driving. I'm a truck driver, and I teach on the run. Because I don't have time to do this. You know, I still have to support my family and do all the things that I got to do. So I try to make it fit. And the prophet of Qumran in the Dead Sea Scroll, Cave 4, Q4, he saw this and he talked about this, how he taught on the run all the time. He's always moving. I'm a truck driver. I've been a also, truck driver for 25 years. Yeah. Also, funny story. Um, and he's going to be like, ugh, about me talking about this. But So he would be over the road. When we first got married, he would be gone for three weeks, and then he'd come home for, like, a little bit, and then he'd be gone again. Okay? So he was always on the run doing everything. And he would hate it because he would be working for these companies, and he would be, like, um, headed somewhere, and all of a sudden the company would change their mind or change where he had to be or – the truck would have issues and it would break down in the middle of somewhere and he would be so irritated because he was supposed to be coming home. He was supposed to only be gone for a certain amount of time and then be done and be able to come home where he wanted to be. Anyways, but it was so funny because after a while, a few months of this same routine, I had noticed that every single time, not even withstanding one time, okay, every single time that something like that happened, where it was ridiculous that it even happened. Like, the the people keep their trucks up amazing. They always have them, like, checked out before they're gone out and everything like that. They would have brand-new trucks, and something ridiculous would happen, and the truck would break down. Or something stupid would happen with the load that was supposed to go on, and it wouldn't be his fault. It wouldn't be the company's fault, you know, and they would have to be there. And I would say, he would get irritated and be like, oh, this is going to put me back this many days. This is going to put me back, you know, and I, I'm not going to get back on time. You know, Christmas, we've even had um, Hanukkah Christmases where um, we wanted to have it together. And I even drove the kids um, a few hours north so that we could pick him up uh, or I could pick him up in the middle of the night when he got back so he could be there Christmas morning um, because, he was not going to make it. He didn't have any hours. So I needed to run up with the kids. We had the kids at his mother's house and she stayed there. She was sleeping. Um, and the kids were there with her while I ran out at like three in the morning to go grab him so he could be there Christmas morning. And I would pack up all of the gifts, all of everything 
so we could do it with dad there. So, but ridiculous things like that happened to him all the time. So eventually I started noticing that every single time that something like that ridiculous happened, he would call me after he calmed down from being irritated that they lied again or that something else was ridiculous. He would call me and say, okay, so I met this person and they started asking me these questions and he ended up having these experiences where people needed to hear from him. They, they were looking for him. They needed to learn from him every single time. And so it was funny to me because he would get all ornery, like, oh, this is so ridiculous. And then I would say, oh, I wonder who you're going to meet. And then he would be like, okay, but I want to be upset about it right now. And he would just be like, he would be like, I, I'm upset about it, even if I have to meet somebody. And then he would call me later and he'd be like, okay, so this is what happened. And he would explain to me these stories of these people who um, were waiting, have been asking questions, haven't had their questions answered for years. And then it's all of a sudden. I'm kind of like Jonah. I'm kind of like Jonah. Yeah. Like God kind of has to force me sometimes and I don't want to do it, but <laughs> he makes it happen anyway. So anyway, I'm muting myself. Yep. I'm actually right in front of the grid. So. Okay. But I thought you would, uh, you'd be like, Oh, I know. So when, yeah, he, that would happen to him all the time when he was over the road and it was really hard. Um, but it was what had to happen because God needed him to be more than just where he is. So he was literally always on the run, and it would be last minute, um, whatever it was that he needed to do, say, or be wherever he was, and it happened so many times continuously. So it was just what had to happen. So, yeah, he's definitely always been on the run, not in a bad sense, that kind of sounds bad, <laughs> but he was always teaching and prophesying um, on the go everywhere he was. Okay, now I'm going to continue reading. <laughs> a prophet of God should be found totally dedicated to the work of the Lord, not involved with tedious labors or worldly honors. His life should be one of consecration, totally and completely serving God. His time should not be spent on a board of directors for big businesses, nor in any type of lawyer craft, doctor craft, or political craft. Check, check, check. Okay, we've got that true he should not be daily involved with governments of democrats okay or republicans okay but more concerned with building up the kingdom of god joseph said in the teachings of prophet joseph smith pages 362 and 363 quote there are provisions made until the work so that men may receive their endowments and be made kings and priests unto the most high God, having nothing to do with temporal things, but their whole time will be taken up with things pertaining to the house of God. End quote. Again, that's from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, pages 362 and 363, which is kind of interesting in a little ways because Joseph did run for president, which he should not have been doing according to himself. No, 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 no. What? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Him running for president actually gave more people, uh, like, they, because he did that, he was put on a stage, a platform, where he could talk about things, 
that people would be more aware of him. So he did what he was supposed to do in doing that. But it wasn't so he could be president. It was so that he could be more known and more covered by the press and those types of things. So anyway, I don't condemn him at all for what he did uh, running for president. But there was a, there so was a means to the end. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, you were saying that he it was more of a means to the end. So he wasn't trying to be the president. He was trying to have a platform where people would listen or, you know, have more access to the truth that he was speaking. So that makes sense. Yes. Yep. Yes. When the Lord revealed to the prophet Joseph that there were to be prophets and apostles in our day, just as in the days of Jesus, the former 12 were selected and ordained. Oliver Cowdery gave them instructions and exhortations that should, and an exhortation that should be immoral, immortalized, yeah, immortalized in the minds of men who expect to be prophets, apostles, and special witnesses of Christ. In that charge to the 12, he said, um, this is Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 195 and 196, quote, Never cease striving until you have seen God face to face. Strengthen your faith, cast off your doubts, your sins, and all your unbelief, and nothing can prevent you from coming to God. Your ordination is not full and complete till God has laid his hands upon you. We require as much to qualify us as did those who get, have gone before us. God is the same. If the Savior in former days laid his hands upon his disciples, why not in latter days? End quote. That's Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 195 through 196. And in this charge, or in his charge, to Parley P. Pratt, Oliver Cowdery declared, um, this is a really long quote from Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 193. Quote, bring your mind to bear upon what will be imperiously required of you to accomplish, viz. the great work uh, that lies before you, count well the cost. You have read of the persecutions and trials of ancient days. Has not bitter experience taught you that they are the same now? You will be dragged before the authorities for the religion you profess, and it were better not to set out than to start and look back, or shrink when dangers thicken around you, or appalling death stares you in the face. I have spoken these things, dear brother, because I have seen them in visions. There are strong dungeons and gloomy prisons for you. These should not appall you. You must be called a good or a bad man. The ancients passed through the same experience. They had this testimony that they had seen the Savior after he rose from the dead. You must bear the same testimony. Or your mission, your labor, your toil will be in vain. You must bear the same testimony that there is but one God, one mediator. He that hath seen him will know him and testify of him. Beware of pride. Beware of evil. Shun the very appearance of it. For the time is coming when, if you do not give heed to these things, you will have a fall. Avoid strife and vain glory. Think not yourself better than your brethren, but pray for them as well as for yourself. And if you are faithful, great will be your blessings. But if you are not, your stewardship will be taken from you and another appointed in your stead. End quote. That's Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 193. The question logically follows then, do the prophets and apostles today bear this testimony? 
that God has laid his hand upon them, that they have seen the Savior, and that they are special witnesses of him. President Joseph F. Smith explained that what, what it means to be a special witness of Christ. This it comes from Gospel, Gospel Doctrine, Joseph, or J.F. Smith, page 222. Quote, for instance, these 12 disciples of Christ are supposed to be an eye and an ear witness of the divine mission of Jesus Christ. It is not permissible for them to say, I believe simply, I have accepted it simply because I believe it. Read the Revelation. The Lord informs us they must know They must get the knowledge for themselves. It must be with them as if they had seen with their eyes and heard with their ears. And they know the truth. That is their mission to testify of Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead and clothed now with almighty power at the right hand of God, the Savior of the world. That is their mission and their duty. And that is the doctrine and truth. End quote. That is from Gospel Doctrine, J.F. Smith, page 222. We're now on page 207. And I don't think you could possibly have even more stuff to say while you're on the Grizz right now, so I'm going to continue. I am in <laughs> Castledale right now. I have already done. Wow. And I'm driving so to Castledale. I know. Thank you. Anyway, um, so the leaders of the church don't usually talk about whether they've had the Savior lay their hand, his hands on their head or that they've even seen him. The last one who said that he saw the Savior in a vision was David B. Hate, but he did not. He, it was a vision. And I believe that he had the vision. I want to believe. The last one who said that he actually saw the Savior was David O. McKay. And David O. McKay testified that the Savior's eyes were brown, which contradicts Joseph Smith, he said that the Savior's eyes were blue, and he contradicts myself because I have seen him, and so has Kim, and we both know that, that his exactly eyes are blue. That is exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah, um, but there's some unique things about his eyes that we don't talk about because it's kind of funny. With Kevin, he knew, but he didn't say anything either. But then Kim, because they were talking about this. Kim started talking about the truth of what he really, his eyes, the details that we were talking about. And Kevin got all excited because at that point he had heard many people say that they'd seen Christ too, but nobody knew the details. Kim knew the details and I knew the details. And when uh, Kevin Kraut found out about that, he was so excited because he knew yeah, that we funny. had actually seen him. And we weren't just like some of these other people that come in and tell him, you know, Kevin's kind of like a magnet. A lot of people come in and tell him lots of things. And he's like, oh, that's interesting, and, you know, whatever. Um, one thing, Kevin, so at the beginning of my ministry, God told me to go to him to be rebaptized to start my ministry. <clears throat> and... Uh, he was a little bit hesitant at first, but he knew me from somewhere, which, Kim, talk about that a little bit. How many times, and this has happened last week, people know in us. In church, yeah. And they don't know why. They don't know why they know us, but it happens well, all the time. Well, one of these time. ladies was like, what's his name? And I was like, oh, this is my husband. She goes, no, who is he? She's like, I know him. 
from somewhere and I was like oh that's what you mean and then I was like um he gets that all the time everywhere he goes and then I was like his name is Mark um he's my husband and you remember him from the free existence <laughs> and she was like I know I know him from somewhere it was funny so but, yeah, we and the, the reason why people go. know us and this has happened to me my whole life the reason they know us is because we stood in the grand councils in the war in heaven and we talked to people as well myself as one having authority with the father and the savior as the second witness or the witness of the father and the son so they have this memory that is just the unveil and they remember it but they don't they don't know exactly so they see us my, and this happens for my wife too you see us that they know they know us from somewhere it happens and i as a truck driver all over north america all my life uh even before i was a truck driver this happens because people remember us but they don't know why they remember us it has to do with the pre-existence anyway go ahead kim okay <laughs> in light of this description it is most interesting to read what Elder Bruce R. McConkie had to say regarding such a relationship to the Savior. Um, this is in Our Relationship with the Lord, BYU Devotional, March 2nd, 1982, page 11. Quote, you have never heard one of the first presidency or the 12 advocate this excessive zeal that calls for gaining a so-called special personal relationship with Christ. End quote. Again, that's from Our Relationship with the Lord, BYU Devotional, March 2nd, 1982, page 11. A good example of a prophet having a personal relationship with God is when he said to Moses, With him will I speak mouth to mouth, and the similitude of the Lord shall behold, he behold. That's Numbers chapter 12, verse 8. Moses was a prophet whom the Lord knew face to face. That's Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 11. I mean, 10, sorry, 34, verse 10. But unfortunately, that portion, portion which brought Moses to speak with God face to face was taken away. But that which brought the ministry of angels remained. All the prophets had the Melchizedek priesthood and were ordained by God himself. That's teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, pages 180 through 181. The character of prophets. Now, this is um, kind of like a new heading. So, the character of prophets, the eternal Okay, class, real quick. Um, yeah. When Joseph was talking about all of the prophets in the past, he was talking about the prophets who had received the fullness of the priesthood. In section 124, when, when God the Father was going to come into a temple where Jesus Christ told him to build that temple in, in Jesus' name, whereby the Most High can come dwell there and that he might restore the fullness of the priesthood. It was talked, he wanted to restore that to all of the saints as part of Zion's redemption. So when he does it individually, if he did it to me, he's talking about the fullness of the priesthood. That's what he's talking about. Um, it's not the Melchizedek priesthood, because you cannot come into the presence of God the physical presence where he can actually lay his hands on your head unless you have the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, um, Moses went to the priests of Midian to Jethro to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. He had to go to somebody who already had it on the earth. 
and he received it from him. Now, part of the curse that happened to the Israelites is that they were not allowed to receive the uh, the Melchizedek priesthood because of what they did, because they had the opportunity to receive it, and they just rejected it, kind of like the things did. Uh, so uh, Moses laid his hands on Aaron and gave him a portion of his power or his priesthood, which was the Aaronic priesthood. But all priesthood is Melchizedek. But that portion, which allows you to come into the presence of the Father, was not um, given to Aaron. But um, in order to receive the fullness of the priesthood, to come into the presence of the Father, and like the, the major prophets did, they had to have the Melchizedek priesthood already. God couldn't give it to them. He had to send them to somebody like Moses went and was told to go to Jethro, who was the priest of Midian, who had the Melchizedek priesthood. Paul was told to go to Ananias. Because Paul could, could not, Paul could not receive anything from Jesus Christ, even though he saw Jesus, because there was a man on the earth who already had that priesthood, so he had to go to Ananias to receive the authority. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Now I will mute myself again. Okay. Um, and I was just going to say, so we are at the character of the prophets, which is another section, and it is 10.03 here. Did you want to keep reading, or did you want to separate it into another section? Just because we've been reading a whole lot, or talking a whole lot, I'm sorry. And uh, Okay, so real quick, um, how much is left of this chapter? Is it like half halfway done, or? Well, let's see. We are on okay. So there's 20 pages. 207. <laughs> We're on 207. Okay, so we and have it eight, ends eight on pages left. Yeah. Oh, okay. 216. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should probably just cut it into two parts. I'm uh, just saying we're because go... we've been talking a lot about it. It's a really good thing, and it's talking about different things, too. So the next section is the character of prophets. So we've already done one section with that, and then it does go into eternal quest, or wait, what is the next one? A decadent priesthood. It just has a little bit of different headings that I think that we would be talking more about once we get to them. That's all I'm saying is I'm just looking yeah. ahead and thinking there's more to be said. And I don't want to cut it short just because, you know, it is getting later. We've been doing this for two hours or an hour and a half. So. Yeah, I know. In uh, 22 minutes, it'll go into overdrive, and I don't want to do that. So, yeah, let's cut it into two parts. Uh, real quick, real quick, if you have a question or a comment, the phone lines are open. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Most of the time, people don't call. Sometimes when they do, uh, we enjoy it. We enjoy talking about these things, and we like it when people bring up questions or, or have comments so we can talk about it. Even the ones that are like, remember that guy a couple of weeks ago? He's like, I don't really know much about Mormonism, but I would like to learn more. And then he got on, and he was, like, bringing up all these quotes out of some anti-Mormon book. 
That was fine yeah. with us. Bring it home, brother. Bring it home. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we good. talked about things. Well, Jesus Christ, there were a lot of things that he talked about that were brought up by the Pharisees and Sadducees who were attacking him. And we learned a lot from his response to that. So I invite people, even if they, you know, are anti-Mormon or even if they say, oh, you're, you couldn't possibly be who you, I don't care. Bring it on because I can take it. But if, uh, so we, we do the live radio show. We try to be on every night at 8. But uh, sometimes things happen, so tonight we're on a little bit later. But, uh, you know, I don't care. Like, bring it on. Bring it on. So uh, uh, it was kind of nice. What's that? Oh, sorry. Uh, something just all of a sudden started playing on my phone, and I couldn't make it stop. I I don't know if you can hear it or not, but I keep trying to mute No, mine. I can't hear it. And I was like, stop playing. Okay, that's good. Because okay. I don't know why it's It sounded normal talking. to me, too. Okay, good. Thanks, Emmett. I'm like, stop. But I wasn't talking to you, honey. I was just talking to my phone. I was That's like, fine. That and that happens. That's another thing. One of the things that I get irritated with is not only am I rejected, but Satan likes to play a little games and he likes to try to get me disconnected or us. You know, so what I say, here's some truth for you, a little truth bomb. If you are a threat to the devil's kingdom, as we are, he will do anything he can to shut you up, including screwing with your phone, which never has a problem unless we're doing the program. Uh, yeah, my phone whatever. doesn't There's ever lots. have a problem. Yours does sometimes has weird things, too, but mine never, like seriously, I'm never disappointed or upset with my phone. But then it does the weirdest things when I'm on the program, like it'll have some weird glitches that happen and then I'm like, what is going on? And I'll have to reset it. Or it just randomly starts playing things and I'm like, what is even going on? Nobody was even touching the phone. <laughs> so it's just like the weirdest yeah. things happen when I'm on the radio program. Oh, also today when I logged into the um, program, um, I heard a thing from Blog Talk itself that said that they were having problems with their system specifically, and I was like, oh, great, it's going to hang up on me. Um, but it just made me restart the program or, like, re-go back in and push one again, to, and then it started it over, it said, but it said it was not starting for a few minutes. So luckily we we logged in early so that it wouldn't have issues. But there was that, and I just, you know, shrugged it off from the beginning because I was like, okay, that's how it's going to start off. <laughs> yeah. Well, we kind of expect but just because we expect it doesn't mean we like it. And sometimes we get really yep. irritated. You know, just yeah. we're trying to do what we're supposed to do. And, you know, we're, we are a threat to the devil's kingdom. We're a threat to the Judas goats out there that the devil is using to lead people astray, to tell them, to give them all the excuses as to why they don't have to be obedient to God or why Joseph Smith is a false or whatever. They will do anything, uh, the principalities and powers of the air, the demons, whatever. They will do anything they can do to stop us. So, all right, I am going to, we're going to be done with it today because nobody's called in. I just refreshed the studio. Um, okay. Emmett, do you have the studio up and running on your uh, device? Yep. Okay, uh, have him play 
I'll then play the uh, the closing music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back on tomorrow with part two of this chapter, and we'll talk about the character of a prophet. Thank you for listening. Take care, yeah. everyone. God bless. Okay. Goodbye. See you guys. Thank mm-hmm. you.